0: It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. Lots of news. We'll talk about the 60 Minutes piece on the NSA. Steve will answer some questions about that. We'll also answer some of your questions. It's a Q&A episode next on Security Now. Netcasts you love.
1: From people you trust.
0: This, this is Twitter. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at c a c h e f l y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode four hundred thirty five, recorded December eighteenth, twenty thirteen. Your questions, Steve's answers, number one hundred eighty. It's time for Security Now. Drink. Hope! <laughs> But what we're drinking is coffee, so it's okay. Yes. Take a sip every time Steve takes a sip. Security Now is a show all about your security, and privacy Steve, online. You can stay in your seat. Yeah, got it. Now that that looks like a nice little ceramic mug. Steve Gibson's here. He's our...
1: That is, but it, but I'm pouring. I'm ah, refilling it with, thermos, with this. I my my uh, Contigo. Contigo. Really like my Contigo. Mm-hmm. I ordered that.
0: Um, that uh, IndieGoGo or Kickstarter, I did thing. too. Yeah, yep. So I'll be interested to see. It's got uh, some sort of special properties for keeping. Well, coffee what I warm.
1: love is that the coffee that comes right out of the pot would scald your mouth. It's too hot, you know. It would burn yeah. you. So you pour that coffee into this. Yes, and it's it it immediately drops its temperature down to drinkable temperature by absorbing the heat. But then it gives that heat back over the, la- the next few hours holding the the coffee at that temperature. Perfect. So, Perfect. I think so. I'll we'll see if it if it's but if it's true. Or nonsense. That would be good. Yeah. We
0: shall see. So uh this is our last show for
1: well wait a minute. I don't nope. know. Next week no, is no, Christmas. No. Gonna be yeah, the best stuff. So we well we have our, our time capsule episode that or actually three episodes from our blast from the past when you and I first were in Physical proximity with each other when we first actually met face-to-face. <laughs> Meet space, back, we call it, yes. Back in, ni- meat space, back in 98, <laughs> 15 years ago. And then, uh, and I left in, I mean, I just basically, the whole, it, it's an hour long, so it's three pieces of three shows with, but some fun commercials from back then. And, and, you know, you being you back with uh, the screensaver show. Kate and uh, and Capitello Patello and I, I was looking for well actually I'm sure I have some that's got Sarah when she was you know in
0: diapers. She was in the what they call the babe what I foolishly at the time called the babe corral. It was tongue-in-cheek I assure you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I made that up um, but uh, yeah she was but she was a regular with tips and so forth. Yeah that was later yeah. that was the uh
1: and Kevin, looking Kevin like Rose, he did twelve he did shave. Year old. Yeah, yeah, yep. he didn't exactly. actually. Yeah. So I'm I'm sure I have those. I have everything we ever did. Wow. So so we could do this for few, years. <laughs> over the next few years, this will be our our awesome. Christmas special. Awesome. Uh, that's great. So so that's next and, week. You know we. Yeah, we we did we had such a long podcast of news last week that even though it was nominally a Q and A, we didn't get. Uh, we answered two questions, so I've removed those from the top and added a couple to make up. So we're going to do another Q and A. Since I mean we've we've not been doing Q and As. That was our 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 first Q and A in a month when we did that last week because there's wow. been so much news um, today. We've got pretty much all things NSA. There we had a week of crazy NSA stuff. Uh, you know the Constitution, sixty minutes, Obama, Silicon Valley, and who <laughs> actually is. Edward Snowden. Then we have the, it just occurred today, uh, news of a new side channel attack on crypto keys. Listening to a laptop, you can get, you decode a 4096-bit oh, RSA geez. key. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I know. Uh, and then a lot of people have asked me because Microsoft made some news by announcing they joined the FIDO Alliance, which is the... the internet authentication alliance that you know google and yubico and so and other bunch of companies are doing so everyone wants to know well what's that relative to 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 my work with squirrel and a few sci-fi tidbits and 10 great questions so holy cow
0: we better get going great show
1: yeah so (laughs) So did you
0: watch 60 minutes
1: i did and we'll talk about that in a second i thought it'd be fun to play this youtube video leo into the podcast it's not very long it's only a couple minutes um and people, I think, will get a kick out of it. It's, cl- it's clever. Is this, a, is this from the NSA or is this a... This is, uh, this is a... The NSA is coming to town rather than Santa Claus.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a 15-second commercial in front, so we'll just pause uh, for a moment and
1: breathe deeply. Okay. Enjoy the silence. Oh. Take a sip from your coffee, everyone. And here we go. Ah, the holiday season. A time for celebration. Magic and spending time with the
0: people you love. But don't forget who's watching to make sure you're not being naughty. You better watch out, you better not Skype. You better log out, yeah, you better not type. The NSA is coming to town. Santa and sunglasses. <laughs> they're checking it twice, they're watching Edward Snowden every top of the naughty device. List. The NSA is coming to and he coming Teddy swaps the phones, takes a picture. <laughs> they see when you are sleeping. <laughs> they hear while you're awake Only in New York They know who you call and who you write So encrypted for goodness sake She took his hat and stepped on it With Congress in the dark and a cloak and dagger court, We're looking for answers <laughs> She just ran off of their phone That's cold NSA is coming to town Uh-oh they making a
1: list, checking it twice. They're watching almost every electronic device. The NSA <laughs> Obviously, these is are real people who are getting a little to miffed.
0: Uh huh. This is the from NSA the ACLU. is coming to town. The NSA is coming to town. The ACLU keeping up their record. You wouldn't let government agents spy on your special holiday moments in person. Why are we letting them do it in the digital world? Help us end the NSA's unlawful spying program. Wow. Click here and take action now. ACLU. That's something. So anyway, yeah, If I get a takedown uh, from the ACLU, I'm going to tell them to call <laughs> you.
1: So, I don't think, I think they'll be quite happy that Why we're threading should. this around, you this know. holiday cheer. Um, just so everyone knows, um, all of the show notes are now always at grc.com on grc.com slash sn. So, for example, the link to this, which Leo just played, if anyone wants to, who just heard it, isn't looking at the video, wants to, you know, play this, it's on YouTube, you can... Get the link there right here in the show notes, the same one that Leo just clicked on. So everyone is certainly welcome to do that. So, yeah, uh, the NSA on 60 Minutes, um, lo- that generated a lot of Twitter traffic with people saying, oh, come on. And in fact, even the EFF said um, they tweeted, we planned to write a takedown of and then said at 60 Minutes NSA puff piece yesterday. But then the D.C. six District Court did it for us, and so they gave a little link to it. So, I mean, for me, what was most interesting was right off the bat, the the quote investigative journalist who did the piece was no one we've ever seen before. Yeah, he happened to be uh, is, have a lot of ties to law enforcement over the years. Yes, he used to be DNI. Um, but I thought it was interesting that 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 that's uh. uh Shoot. Uh,
0: he worked for the Govs, he, the feds. Yes. Doing yeah. intelligence, defense, um, and national intelligence.
1: That's it. Um, or departmental intelligence. But um, what you normally have for, like, you know, big stories is one of the core 60 Minutes team. And it was struck me as very odd that for a story of this clear import right. that they had chosen to do, none of their main people wanted to weigh in on this. And in fact, I mean it was a puff piece. What what annoyed me was that that to the, you know, on camera, to the 60 minutes investigator's face, they were just saying what we know to be lies. I mean, you know, they were asked, you know, is the NSA, mon- you know, got collecting data on millions of Americans? No, we're not doing that. Well, <laughs> okay. Wait a minute. You know, they are just collecting
0: day, phone records metadata
1: they even said that later in the piece yeah they did so so there was although it was a different person so there was some so so the piece was also self-contradictory so again there was like there were no follow-up questions that, that no one was was like pushed hard they made a point of saying oh i've never been i've never been interviewed before i've never been on camera and it's like okay you know so, so anyway i was i was yeah you know our listeners were just sort of rolling their eyes so I didn't think very much of it. And, of course, the next day, Monday, came the news that a federal judge ruled that, in fact, the mass collection of telephone metadata is unconstitutional. So there are, you know, there's a huge collection of lawsuits. Everybody is suing everyone. There are shareholders like suing IBM because IBM has indicated or, or didn't IBM didn't tell them that there would be a consequence to IBM's international sales. Apparently like China, IBM's China sales has just hu- taken a big hit because China's now worried that IBM is a branch of the NSA and is spying on them. And so the shareholders of IBM are suing IBM. Meanwhile, we've got all kinds of class action suits against AT&T and Verizon for sharing the data. And, you know, I mean, it's just a disaster. So um, uh, one other thing that happened is that yesterday, on Tuesday, uh, the White House uh, invited 15 of the top Silicon Valley tech execs to come and, like, sit around a table and have a have a photo event, basically. You know, Tim Cook of Apple, Eric Schmidt of Google, execs from Twitter, Microsoft, Facebook, Salesforce, Netflix, Etsy, Dropbox, Yahoo, Zynga, Sherpa, Global, Comcast, LinkedIn, and AT&T. So, you know, sort of like the oh, – I don't see any Verizon among those, but maybe they were there, thir- uh, 15 of them in total. And so, you know, this was to – uh, I don't know what, air everyone's grievances, Barack apparently Ostensibly, tried- it
0: was about the uh, healthcare.gov debacle.
1: Oh, was it also? Because I knew that that was part of it. That seemed to be... Well, those
0: stories before the event said meeting with we were Silicon Valley about. to talk about healthcare.gov, of course, these executives had a different agenda, and apparently the president deflected them as best he could.
1: Yeah, well, for example, the Washington Post had, had an article, and they quoted... An industry official who is familiar with the company's views as saying, for example, what the hell are you doing? Are you really hacking into the infrastructure of American companies overseas? The same American companies that corp that cooperate with your lawful orders and spend a lot of money to comply with them to facilitate your intelligence collection. Uh, so that was an that characterized the sentiment of these companies. Um and, and I, I did see an interesting counter take on this that, I, that was a little bit of a reminder. And that is to say, well, let's not forget that, you know, these companies to varying degrees live by tracking and profiling their own users. You know, it's literally their published business model. You know, Eric Schmidt has been quoted saying, we know where you are. We know where you've been. We can more or less know what you're thinking about your digital identity will live forever because there's no delete button. So it's, you know, he's got to be careful that, you know, he's complaining about the government spying when, you know, many consumers are concerned that, you know, Google is watching them too carefully. I think there, of course, that there is a difference. One is disclosure. Um, you can, we've can all opt sort opt out. Of, it's, exactly. And power. You know, Google doesn't have the ability to to tanks. knock on to, exactly to <laughs> knock on your door and disappear you with uh, under the Patriot Act with and deny any opportunity for you to have legal representation you just are gone and our government does have that power um, and I I remember a lesson I learned uh, way back. Uh, and you'll remember, Leo, in the spyware days, you know, when I, when the, the term was born, spyware, because I discovered this stuff on my own machine, this Oriate spyware, uh, which was later named Radi- renamed Radiate. And this was it was when I was beta testing the zone alarm firewall, which was the first firewall that did outbound blocking. And so I installed it on my machine and I. A notice popped up telling me that some that something I'd had no knowledge about was trying to connect to the internet. And I was like, What? It turns out that PKZip had installed this. It was part of their business model. They brought this stuff in, and and even though I had registered it. It was the you know you 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 downloaded the unregistered version and then you give them the license and then it stops displaying ads. Well, this was a technology that displayed ads in a window in the application, and so this was the framework for that. But and even though I think I'd even uninstalled PKZIP, I was using something else by then. The instructions were explicit from Oriate: do not uninstall us because we can be shared by many, you know, different freeware to in order to monetize freeware. So, this wasn't malicious, but this was something I never was told about. There was ne- it, it was not consensual. And so I I wrote opt out immediately in order to remove this stuff from my machine, which was it turns out this was phenomenally widely spread through the internet and nobody knew about it and so it generated a huge response and my my point is that i was privy to the letters that people in email people were writing to oriate i mean beyond livid and some of the language and the terminology i mean you know with you know reference to to totalitarian uh, regimes in the past it was it was sobering to see how upset people were. And what I realized was it's because this was a surprise. They, I mean, it, it was, this was in their machine and they had no knowledge of it. It wasn't that it was malicious back then. Stuff today is much more so. It's just that this happened without their knowledge. And- And I think also it was the beginning of this. Now everyone's kind of like, okay, well, I got to, you know, get this stuff out of my machine. But this was the, you know, the coining of the term spyware. This was the first evidence of this kind of thing happening. So people were really upset. And so my my point is I'm sure that a lot of the heat generated over this, the whole Edward Snowden revelation series is... The, we just really didn't know. On some level, yeah, okay, there was an assumption, but you know, we've seen slides with with graphic details, and so that's a different story. That
0: was another funny part of the sixty Minutes thing is the only debate over Edward Snowden was <laughs> should we should we uh, give him amnesty so he can get the other files back from him, or should we just right? He's a terrorist, so throw the book at him. You don't want to
1: right, right? And the guy who the guy who understood the depth of the breach and the number of 1.3 million I think files was the number that was cited and I'd yeah. seen that elsewhere yeah. um he was of the opinion well you know it would be really nice to have those back yeah. because he knows now the extent of what if they have a number like that they have a sense for what was what has gone missing I would guess they would know exactly i mean there must be logs I would guess they uh, I don't know, maybe. maybe, but certainly they have a count, yeah, and and he knows actually how much on his good behavior Edward has been. I mean, what hasn't been disclosed is a lot yeah. relative to what they believe he got, and and so I mean, and, and again, it, it's the case that 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 Snowden had a specific goal. And that was of of generating accountability, and he is achieving that, yeah. and, um, and 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 not more. And so I really think he's, he's acted responsibly so far. I didn't so ask far. you, and I don't
0: want to sidetrack you because you've moved on, but um, about this Bios uh, virus that they were describing
1: in this <sighs> piece. Yeah. Okay, so the thing that it, I was put in mind of was the Chernobyl virus that that was the that was the thing that i wrote the free recovery tool for i called it fix cih because it was also known as a cih virus mm-hmm. yep. and 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 um there are there are bios flash rom erasing viruses around that's you know this was a hard drive erasing virus but but that but there have been some viruses that are that that specifically wipe the BIOS and turn your board into a brick. Right. And and so that's what I'm thinking. I mean, it's. I heard a lot of people poo-pooing and It's like, well, you know, if somebody wanted to, um, it's there, not generally of,
0: the M O of people who spread malware these days. I mean, that's just malicious.
1: Well, right, because it kills the platform that the things <laughs> it's not on that they want. <laughs> <laughs> right. You exactly. And, and this has always been the argument against why why, you know, viruses don't kill the machines they're living on is that there's always a chance they can spread more if they stay alive. Right. But if, for example, a foreign power wanted to really, I mean, seriously hurt the U.S. I mean, this is like Daniel Suarez sort of, yeah, you this know, is
0: cyber warfare stuff.
1: Yeah. But cyber again, warfare. I think
0: more successful bringing down the power plant. In other ways, you know, it's you know.
1: Well, think about it, Leo. If it were actually possible to spread something that zeroed the firmware on motherboards, it it would, be in fact, bad. yeah. Oh, it would be truly devastating.
0: It seemed as if they were looking for something that would be as scary as possible to make people feel better about the work they're doing.
1: Although, okay, see the other th- the the other thing that has come out is that. It's, it's very clear, I think, to anyone looking at all of the news, that the NSA lies to Congress. Right. They they exaggerate the the, the benefit and the effect of of their of this vacuuming of everything. And for example, someone matter of factly said, "Oh yeah, we've thwarted at least fifty terrorist uh, uh, plots." using the mass metadata collection. And then upon further analysis, it's like, okay, well, talk to us. Which ones? Oh, you know, uh, well, we'll have to get know, back to you on that. You know that one. <laughs> you know those bad ones. Those ones. Yeah. Well, they can't so, – I mean
0: in their defense, they can't – they're not really going to say too yes, much detail so, either. I
1: mean, and, as, and as I've said, I, I really appreciate the tension that exists. I mean I, in in my reading, I did see somebody, a third party saying – and this is one of the talking head shows mentioning that – but one of the smart people saying, you know, the NSA says they can't tell Congress right. because Congress will leak it. Clapper, and,
0: General Clapper said, I said as much as I could. I could be – I was as honest as I could be. And, Leo,
1: I'm – I've seen Congress. Yeah. They would leak it. Of course it. they would. I mean I I wouldn't trust Congress as far as I could throw them. But that raises so, the issue of if if
0: you can't trust Congress and you who who do you trust to do oversight? Somebody has to do oversight. And
1: yeah. you can't
0: and I think it's not unreasonable to say you can't reveal all this stuff publicly. I mean we you can't let the American people decide. Their representatives uh, have to decide. It's this right. is not a,
1: I don't think it's all that clear. So Okay, so one thing I wanted to to I want I want to get off this topic. Yes, maybe we'll, yes. maybe in the new Sorry. year we'll be yeah, able yeah. to. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. I, I mean, like, sort of for the in in terms of podcast future, because you know we've beaten this thing to death. But there, the, one of the things that annoyed me was this the characterization we have seen of of snowden and we saw it in the 60 minutes piece you know there was the one little anecdotal business about well he he cheated on a test in order to get hired and you know there is a and i understand that the nsa has to paint this person as you know a traitor and you know like like the worst thing that ever happened to national security and a high school dropout and you know I mean, really paint him as badly as possible, but um there was a piece um that I linked to for anyone who, oh in forbes, so so so, so this is in, in, in Forbes, um, and this is this is going a little bit, I think <laughs> overboard on the other side, where an NSA coworker, the headline is, um, remembers the real Edward Snowden as a genius among geniuses." now you know okay you know all of our geeks all, all, all of we geeks have mothers who thinks we're who think we're geniuses so that's sort of you know okay you have to understand you know who, who's doing the the thinking here i'm sure that the janitor in the nsa building thinks that all of the nsa employees are geniuses but but for example Before coming to, and so this is from the interview of an NSA co worker who knew Snowden well. Said that before coming to the NSA in Hawaii, Snowden had impressed NSA officials by developing a backup system that the NSA had widely implemented in its code breaking operations. He also frequently reported security vulnerabilities that he discovered in the NSA's own software. And apparently many of these bugs were never patched. Snowden had been brought to Hawaii as a cybersecurity expert working for Dell's services division, but due to a problem with the contract was reassigned to become an administrator for the Microsoft intranet management system known as SharePoint. Impressed with his technical ability, Snowden's managers decided that he was the most qualified candidate to build a new web front end for one of its projects. Maybe they could get him over on on healthcare.gov. Anyway, uh, despite his contractor status, as his coworker tells it, he was given full administrator privileges with virtually unlimited access to NSA data. Big mistake in hindsight, says Snowden's former colleague, but if you had a guy who could do the things nobody else could and the only problem was that his badge was green instead of blue, what would you do? As further evidence that Snowden didn't hijack his colleagues' accounts for his leak, which is one of the the bogus stories we heard in order to, to paint him in that light, the NSA staffer points to an occasion when Snowden was given a manager's password so that he could cover for him while the manager was on vacation. Even then, investigators found no evidence Snowden had misused his staffer's privileges, and the source says nothing he could have uniquely accessed from the account has shown up in news reports. Of course, we know that not everything Snowden has has shown up in news reports, but still there's another bullet point. Snowden's supervisors were so impressed with his skills that he was at one point offered a position on the elite team of NSA hackers known as Tailored Access Operations, or TAO. He unexpectedly turned it down and instead joined Booz Allen to work at the NSA's Threat Operations Center. Another hint, of his whistleblower conscience, aside from the telltale hoodie that he always wear. He wore a, he wore an EFF hoodie that, you know, showed that eagle with its talons holding all the fiber optic cables. You know, so, I mean, he was like saying to people, look, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm with a spying organization here, folks. Um, he Snowden kept a copy of the Constitution on his desk to cite when arguing against NSA activities he thought might violate it the source tells the reporter that snowden also once nearly lost his job standing up for a coworker who was being disciplined by a superior and this goes on so my point is that you know there is there's ample evidence to say that you know snowden had a conscience that he was demonstrating it at work and he was you know c- characterizing him as a, a high school dropout who cheated on on test in order to get into the nsa is clearly not telling you know a, a fair um, recitation of of you know of the facts. So there,
0: a, there, so there. Now, <laughs> take a take a sip, everybody.
1: May, maybe we're done with the NSA for yeah, 2013. Let's move on. It's been a, a major, yeah. it's been a major topic for 2013. We will try not to uh, have it <laughs> dominate 2014. Uh, but speaking of dominating. Uh, there, I posted, I tweeted a neat graphic which uh, popped onto the net last week, showing. I, I think I, I tweeted the bots are winning or something to that effect. This is a result of an analysis showing the the bot versus human traffic distribution, which is to say. The traffic on the internet generated not by human activity, but by automated activity as is in, in 2012, 51% of the traffic was non-human agents. In 2013, that 51% has expanded to 61.5. So an additional ten percent human use has dropped to 38.5. And th- <laughs> but that's kind of you- be
0: expected. This is mach- machines talk to machines and can do it much All- more rapidly than a human can.
1: Yes. And and so, for example, search engines of of the 61.5 you know, majority of the of the traffic, 31.1. So, half of that, 61 and a half%. 31% is search engines and other good bots. And this isn't so, a so,
0: surprise to anybody who has their own website, because if you look at the log, oh, there's, there's always a crawler from one of the search engines in, in yes. our sites, and,
1: always. And in fact, the, the other day, I looked at my perfect passwords page, which, you know, I mean, I'm using a password that I, from my Wi-Fi to protect my various Wi-Fi uh, routers that I got from GRC. You, I just can't get a more absolutely unbiased random blob designed for Wi-Fi than than from GRC. But on the day that I looked at it, there there had been like 12,000 average pulls. And it normally runs like three or four. So I'm thinking, okay, it must now be that some automated thing is just going there and sucking a lot of pages in order to collect random noise from GRC. It's like, okay, well, I got to go... Put a, put a stop to that one of these days. That's not on my priority list. But what is what you know, is so, Netflix? Is that a bot? I mean, if I go watch a stream, is that a human interaction? I wouldn't How think do they so. Classify that. Well, so so thirty one percent is search engines and other good bots. Then five percent is scrapers, and what I just described was a scraper. Something is scraping my site. There, you know, I designed this page for a person to uh, one person to go and get one piece of, of of very very high quality pseudo random data for their own use but something i'm thinking is scraping my site and it's the same way like you know craigslist has complained about scraping you know other people set up bots to go and like scrape it. and ebay has the same problem so they are scrapers who are pretending to be humans that are collecting data from websites 5% of the bots are doing that Four and a half percent are hacking tools i don't know what that actually means what what they qualify. Half a percent are spammers, and then twenty and a half are quote called other impersonators uh anyway, just some interesting stats that you know over time the clearly human use of the internet is increasing from twenty twelve to twenty thirteen. We know that's increasing as all of us now have smartphones there there's additional points of entry to the internet may, allowing us to use more of our day hooked to the net. so human traffic on the internet is growing, but non-human traffic is growing faster than human traffic such that you know we're losing out as a percentage, which is uh, you know interesting as you said, not unexpected but it, to me the reason it makes sense, is there's never been anything more automatable than the Internet. It, you know, it's it's a bunch of protocols that obey rules. And so, yes, a human running a browser can click a URL and pull up a page. But so can a machine. And so machines are. People have found all kinds of reasons to to have machines doing that. I got a bunch of tweets um speak uh, earlier in this week, maybe it was the end of last week, concerned with the news that Google was now displaying images in Gmail. Previously, Google, when when you got email that had embedded images, you would have a, you know, click to display this image if you want to. So they did a couple things. It saved bandwidth so that you weren't downloading stuff that you didn't care about. But there was also some some protection there because you, in the same way sort of that no script protects you by not loading a script by default on a website you visit, this wasn't loading an image by default on email you were viewing. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about how sad it is, but true that actually actual images can be malicious because the renderers in our computers that convert that image into something we can see essentially the, the 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 code representation of the image jpeg GIF, you know whatever tiff into an image the that rendering code can have buffer overflows and it's possible to then if you find if you find a flaw in the rendering you can craft a like a fake image which will deliver malware so what's very cool about this, so, so a lot a lot of people were saying, "Hey, Steve, I thought like this was this was a security problem, and what Google has done is e- extremely cool. They are proxying images, and here's the key they are transcoding them so so what this and there are a, a number of reasons for doing this um but what th- what that means is essentially google's own servers. are are following the link and obtaining the image and interpreting the image, turning it into a graphic. Then they're taking that and re-encoding it as whatever makes sense, a PNG or a JPEG, and, and then embedding that in your Gmail. So it's now safe for Gmail to display images by default. And so this means a couple things. First of all, that act of transcoding is the best filter you could ever have. Uh, uh, For example, I'm using it on GRC's packets. I don't talk about my security technology often, but from the beginning, I, before I, you know, began doing things... I implemented a packet transcoding technology which re-represents the packets in a meta language and no packets from the outside ever come to the inside of GRC only transcoded packets and it's the technology I've never done anything with I just did it for myself but but it provides protection because you can't it it you're it essentially it, it's like completely sanitizes in Google's case an image by by discarding the the what could be a malicious specific representation and turning it into an image and then reencoding it. Um, but the other thing Google can do is that many times somebody may send you an image which is like ridiculously high resolution and you know m- tens of megabytes in size. So Google, because they're proxying it, is able to in the in the transcoding process is able to essentially recompress it to a size that makes sense so it comes into Gmail and you know you might be able to click on it to get the full size one, but it shows you a nice little thumbnail much smaller and, and, and a and a, and a, and a compression uh, ratio that makes sense for for the type of image and your application, which then makes your page load much faster than if your browser was going out and having to download a 20 megabyte, you know, photo that somebody sent you, you know, in full hyper resolution without reducing it. So it's it's um, it's very cool. And it means a few other things too uh, that they that they comment in their blog posting where they describe this, and that is that senders cannot use image loading. To get information like your IP address, which they otherwise could, if your email is collected by Google, then Google is is the is the store and forward server. But when Gmail comes to your browser, and your browser opens it, its requests for images will come from you and not from Google, which means that that anyone wanting to track you based on images added to email would be getting queries from your browser at your IP address, and then they would know your location. And they would be able, that that would be a cookie transfer. So they'd be able to set and read cookies on your browser through images. Both of those things are thwarted by having Google proxy images in Gmail. So that's also very cool. Um, but the one glitch is if images are tagged with unique file names in their links, then they would still be able to track you that way. That is, they w- if you opened the email and then your browser asked Google for the image by name, then Google would would query the image in order to transcode it and send it back to you. And so there would still be tracking by unique image name. But still, you know, a nice a nice uh, step forward. And you can disable it. You know, you may ask, well, why would Google spend yes. all the
0: time and money to do this? Because it's expensive. Um, mm-hmm. Because they want you to see ads, frankly. And, uh, and, and it, you know, they want – you know, I don't really want to see those images huh. – so uh, I've immediately gone into my settings and uh, turned this feature off. I mean, they're they're not. It's good they're sanitizing it. And and I guess for most people, seeing you know images in their emails is you know kind of better. But I don't want to see ads in my email, and I and so yeah. I. I you, fortunately, you can't go into the settings and turn it off at least for now.
1: Right, so they flipped it back on, and you can go in and, and say, no, nah, yeah. no thanks again. You know, yeah. And I'd, they do I'd explain rather, there why that.
0: it's okay now to have images and emails and so forth. Um, uh, you know, they don't have the... I, I'm curious what this is going to be. Ask before displaying eternal, external images. It used to be they wouldn't ex- display them at all. And what I suspect is people like MailChimp and Constant Contact said, hey, uh, you know, we do newsletters with images, you're turning them off without asking. So my suspicion is you know we're going to get pestered every time there's an image. You want to see these images? Come on. I know you want to see these images. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. It's it's an ad. I I love Google. I'm not going to complain about Google. I love Google, but it's an ad company. And this right. is this is about commerce.
1: Yes, and and, and that's exactly it. We we you know we are we are Google's product as has been said. You know, they're they're monetizing us, and that's you know you know I mean television does, and so the internet it's funny Twit the does, just- we do i mean yeah i I was, I was I was commenting to Jen a couple of days ago, I stumbled on a site, I don't remember now what it was, but it was clean, it was like g r c no ads and but you know it obviously it wasn't mine but i mean i I just looked at it, and I was like, wow, and i just i realized then. Look at the typical. Look at what has happened to the typical website. It's just you know, it's all across the bottom. It's a, it's half of the, it's all down the right hand side. Stuff jumping around, and then now, as you scroll down, new things like slide out of the bottom in order to grab your attention. And it's, it's, and I went to some other site that had no ads, and it's just like, oh, it was nice. And so yeah, I, it, it is. Incredible, what's happened to the net? And as, as you know, I'm sure the file download sites have all just become unusable now too. They're all forcing you to like download some intermediate download manager of their own, and, and like install junk on your machine other than the file that you're trying to download. Yeah, so but there is earn. a
0: difference, uh, you know. That's I really there. There must be a rhetorical. You know how there's uh, names for all sorts of rhetorical tricks. There must be a name for this rhetorical trick. But Leo, says somebody in the chat room, you're always saying it's unethical to use ad blockers. What's the difference? Because it's in my email that's different. I'm not using a free service like Facebook and saying, well, I don't want to see the ads. This is my email. And uh, I don't don't want to see bazooms in my email. Thank you very much. Right. Off of Soapbox.
1: Right. So, okay. Um, We have to talk about this because everyone's just in a frenzy um what was shown was a at this point a purely academic theoretical attack it is definitely interesting and it's the kind of thing that i love to bring to our listeners because this is the kind of stuff that i mean like really makes a difference in under like in like fundamental understanding of of security And this is um, a a group of researchers who published a paper and in the show notes is the link to it. I'm just going to share their synopsis because they do a perfect job of characterizing this. And we'll talk about it then a little bit. The title of their paper is RSA Key Extraction via Low Bandwidth Acoustic Cryptanalysis. Um, And so they said many computers... Emit a high-pitched noise during operation, due to vibration in some of their electronic components. And uh, this actually is—it's the, the switching power supply. But we'll we'll talk about more details in a second. These acoustic emanations are more than a nuisance; they can convey information about the software running on the computer, and in particular. Leak sensitive information about security-related computations. In a preliminary presentation, we have shown that different RSA keys induce different sound patterns, but it was not clear how to extract individual key bits. The main problem was that the acoustic side channel has a very low bandwidth, naturally, because it's, it's basically it's an audio... Carrier. So variations in the audio carrier are are going to be limited to the carrier's frequency, which is on the order of 20 kilohertz, which is like the switching power supply frequency. So um, that's why some of us can still hear those, those those switching power supplies. And then so they say, and of course they're limited by microphone bandwidth. They say under 20 kilohertz using common microphones, and a few hundred kilohertz using ultrasound microphones. Many orders of magnitude below the gigahertz-scale clock rates of the attacked computers. Here, we describe a new acoustic cryptanalysis key extraction attack applicable to GNU-PG's current implementations of RSA. They were actually able to extract GPG-RSA keys. The attack can extract full... 4096-bit RSA decryption keys from laptop computers of various models within an hour using the sound generated by the computer during the decryption of some chosen plaintexts. We experimentally demonstrate that such attacks can be carried out using either a plain microphone planted next to the computer or a more sensitive microphone placed 4 meters away. Beyond acoustics, we demonstrate that a similar low bandwidth attack can be performed by measuring the electric potential of a computer chassis. A suitably equipped attacker need merely touch the target computer with his bare hand or get the required leakage or get the required leakage information from the ground wires at the remote end of VGA, USB, or Ethernet cables. Oh, my Lord. So, anyway, so, um, we've talked often about side-channel attacks. This is clearly really cool, low-bandwidth side-channel attack, basically using, using... Things the machine does. Apparently, vibration uh is, is another one. So and 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 sound is one, and you know, subtle variations in in the electric potential between the machine's ground. So essentially, when you have an algorithm, a cryptographic algorithm, where secret information changes what the machine does in i mean even in subtle ways that is detectable it's it varies the load that the processor puts on the power supply varying the load that the processor puts on the power supply varies the the ground reference of the of the machine just t- you know by microvolts but enough that you can detect it and it will vary the the strain on the power supply that changes the sound that the power supply makes, and so the, technically it's all leaking information. This is—it's one of the reasons, and I've mentioned this before—that that the the elliptic curve technology that I chose was deliberately designed by Dan Bernstein to be to have none of its secret information involved in any branch decisions or changing the the flow of the machine in any way. It's, I mean, and so that, so it is side channel, uh, neutral. Um, but it's very difficult to write code that way and takes an extra effort. What we're seeing is it is incredibly important to do this. I know we talked last week or the week before about another attack, which was using variations in the in the code flow which changed the, the the caching of code and data in the microprocessor and so ma- malware running in the same processor but in a different a completely different virtual machine but like in an amazon you know shared hosting environment could obtain cryptographic information from other processors running in the machine now okay so the reason we don't have to all run around with our hair on fire is you know this was an academic demonstration the first of all the machine could not be doing anything else at the same at the same time it was absolutely set up so that it was only doing this crypto using chosen plain text over and over and over and over and over. So I mean that's all it was doing with no contention. If 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 you were in a typical laptop where, you know, you've got all kinds of annoying stuff connected to the internet, downloading stuff and updating and, you know, and other tasks happening at the same time, all of this goes out the window. Now, that's not to say it's then impossible, but it's very much like, you know, if everyone in in a coffee shop, in, like in Starbucks, was absolutely quiet, and one person was talking to someone else. You could you could hear their conversation across the room. Whereas if everyone is talking to someone else, yes, that that original conversation is still there. It's part of the mix of what you're hearing. But oh my lord, you know, distinguishing it from the the cacophony is vastly more difficult. So similarly. In a, in any real world situation, it's going to be much more difficult to extract keys. But we're, we're this has been a focus, a recent focus of cryptographic work: the 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 nature of side channel attacks. And so, what we're going to be seeing in the future are going to be explicitly side channel safe crypto. You know, I'm already using it. Other people are going to have to start using it, just so that you know you're safe against these kind of attacks, because they're inherently stealthful. You you just you know I mean it's your it's machines and and processors and and boxes and hardware that you know you may have no control over whatsoever that are unintentionally changing what they do i mean it's like the the fundamental nature of the way the processors function is leaking this information so now we have to start designing crypto so that it it is it is it is side channels safe against you know these kinds of attacks but you know this was wow really interesting
0: well you've heard of van eck freaking right this has been yeah since the 80s yeah.
1: Well, and remember Leo, uh being an old timer like me, we used to put AM radios on the top of mini computers uh, and and would write code with different lengths of loops in order to generate different frequencies and then like play Christmas carols and things. You know, back, you know, back in the old days. And so this is the same sort of yeah. thing. There there it was the core memory, core memory, uh the nature of the way it operated was pulses of current through loops of wire and that was inherently generating radio frequencies uh, you know all over the AM band i mean basically you couldn't listen to an AM radio inside of a inside of a you know a, a computer shop and so we would tune the, ra- the radio to some place where we'd get a good uh, intermodulation and you know you could you know play music from a computer just yeah. even though it had no no sort of you know uh, interface at all um, it was just generating – you could get it to generate deliberately really strong uh, RF uh, emissions.
0: There's a scene in Cryptonomicon where somebody uh, uses Vanek freaking to see what's on somebody's monitor through a hotel wall because, you know, the radiation does from a monitor does travel oh, through a wall. That's yeah, why you have a Tempest to- – that's why there's a Tempest specification for –
1: Yes, and back secure. then when you had when you had big CRTs oh, that were yeah. scanning, you could you know they were sending out the contents of their screen moment to moment. Right,
0: right. Hey, we have a winner in the Mega Millions lottery. I'm surprised you don't have this in your notes uh, because you're big on math. <laughs> Apparently, there are a lot of people confused about math. Mega Millions, if they hadn't had a winner, would have gone to over or close to a billion dollars in the lottery prize on Friday, which means everybody was buying a ticket. But one of the reasons they hadn't had winners in so long is because they made the odds literally astronomical. You're more likely to get hit by an asteroid, literally more likely to get hit by an asteroid
1: than win the Mega Millions lottery. And that's way more likely than you are to have a collision of a a 256-bit number
0: since you love these big numbers they they changed the uh i forgot what it is i think you have to pick 15 numbers between 1 and 75 and then a sixteenth. and get them all yeah and then pick well yeah and then pick a 16th that's only one between 1 and 15 get them all to win it's the odds Ooh. are so huge i'm surprised there was a winner but apparently somebody did pick it in wow. georgia <laughs> one in 75 Fifteen times, Yeah. That's a big number. That's a big anyway. number. <laughs> we have a winner. I don't think it's uh, you know somebody does win, and that's sometimes, and that's why huh. people, people do
1: it. Uh, All right, uh, that's on with the One point one point <laughs> six <laughs> times ten to the eighty eight. Just for those. I don't those know how 15.
0: they got a win. How did somebody win? They wow. must. I don't even understand how somebody won that. <laughs>
1: Oh no wait so one, 1 to 75 15 times sorry one 1. I'm sorry 3. I somebody's
0: I have not ever purchased a lottery ticket or a lotto ticket in my life but Nor somebody's I. corrected me that, uh that there are 5 not 15 so 1 to 75 5 that's I is that really right I thought it was harder than that wow <laughs> so that that pretty...
1: begins to seem reasonable because yeah, Leo that other number hard. that that other number was you make it just too hard. Beyond.
0: Apparently they have two winners um uh, they've announced two winners in the $636 million jackpot. Yeah, it's five numbers. So you have okay, 8, so now eight we're at 14, two. 17, 20,
1: 39, and a mega ball of seven. Okay, so we're at 2.373 billion combinations. One in 2.373 <laughs> billion.
0: It's crazy. It's crazy. That's... Your odds were not good. But, you know, people buy enough tickets, somebody's going to win.
1: So, um, <laughs> anyway, on with the show. Mi- Microsoft made a bunch of news uh, by their uh, joining the FIDO Alliance. What's that? And that's something that I'd never really looked at much. Yeah. Uh, uh, Stina at Ubico always talks about FIDO Alliance, FIDO Alliance. Whenever we're together, and you know, it is a big, slow-moving bunch of committees. Um, to give you a sense for it. It you have to pay $25,000 a year in dues in order to join, and it's you know, so it's like okay, and, and it's what Google it's you know, it's the for, uh, Google is now involved, and what they have is uh two different authentication uh proposals, and you know, so these are like big lumbering committees, and Google has this thing, you know, we and I'm sure you're aware of it. They they they've they, they're using YubiKeys internally and use and they've come up with a with, with a a second factor authentication technology using YubiKeys and I think they they've got custom plugins for Chrome that that works with it and so forth. Um so People have asked, you know, where is that relative to, to Squirrel? And I had no idea. So I did a little poking around. I've, I've got links in the show notes if anyone wants to to get details. Um, Google has posted they had a project a project called, I guess you'd pronounce it Nubby, G-N-U-B-B-Y, yes. which was the, their working name, which is their um, OAuth technology. Uh, when, when, and they were calling it Universal Second Factor, U2F. And there are some similarities to Squirrel. Uh, that is, you know, the system that I've designed. Um, and frankly, we solved many problems they haven't solved. Um, there's there's like Squirrel is superior, um, but that doesn't mean it's going to win. I, I was initially a little... Saddened when I looked at what they were doing because it wasn't really good. Um, For example, their system requires that the thing that you have to have like a YubiKey, and it has to have storage which stores keys for every site. Well, that's one of the coolest things about Squirrel is you don't have to have any; it doesn't have any state in it like per site. It generates it on the fly, and and then. When they were trying to make these things cheaper, because they're saying, "Well, this will cost many tens of dollars," and so that, that's the other problem is that naturally you've got a lot of entrenched biases. You know, like Google wants to protect their ecosystem, Yubico wants to sell tokens. Everyone has their territory to protect, and so we're gonna. And this thing, the spec, is really overdesigned. I mean, at you know, at one point there's like a a a um, a certificate signing request being sent back and forth, and it's like you know what it's that like the kind of thing you do when you register certs with a certificate authority and you want them to sign your certificate so one um, one of the problems is it'll never be free because it's tied to a physical token mm, so couldn't you use like and, Google Authenticator well. For example, you can't use Apple iOS ecosystem mm-hmm. because it's also all um, uh, well, no wonder, near field. No wonder Microsoft all, loves it. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. explains if, a lot. It, it's all near. It's, it's n- dead on know, the water uh, then. You've if, got if, if, 400 million devices it won't work with. Right. And Squirrel, of course, will work with everything. Right. So when i when I realized so first I realized there's a there's a whole bunch of things we did right. also they, they don't we, we've solved the key lifetime what we call key lifetime management where if worst happened and someone did steal your identity, squirrel gives you control so you can get it back. You can actually get it back from a hacker who has stolen it. and there's nothing like that in 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 Fido. so um. Or in the Fido proposal, so so and then and then this other thought I had was okay. Not only is Squirrel better, I mean, much easier to implement, much simpler, much cl- much more clearly, like much clear about how it works. But it's it's free and it'll work on all devices. You don't and it's truly free. You don't have to buy anything. Um, it doesn't need near field technology, so you can use it on you know Apple mobile devices, um, but also. It could if Fido ended up happening, there's nothing to prevent it them from cohabitating. I mean, like if people wanted to use the free one, which is arguably better it'll will have that too and it's 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 so simple for a website to implement squirrel and there and everyone's writing libraries now for all the different major platforms that it'll be easy to add it. so it's like, okay you know i you know microsoft and google and and all these other people are happy welcome to do that and i imagine that squirrel will not be you know kept from existing just because you know there's something else
0: good although as we know in the tech industry best technology does not always win in fact often it often does that's true
1: though. and and it if it if it doesn't take off well you know you i'll use best. it and And other people will use it, and I I will have made. I will given my expression for. Here is how you solve the problem the right way, and anyone who looks at it will go, "Wow, this solves the problem." And but you know, and and it'll all. I mean, it'll just be there. It'll be free. So. We'll see what happens. I, I am not discouraged. I uh, and <laughs> Lord knows. I mean, I'm I'm writing code. I uh, I've I've got the I assembled all of the crypto libraries and got them running on my tool chain, which is earlier than any everyone else's. Um, so uh, I'm I'm deep into it now and uh, am moving ahead. So uh, and are as are a bunch of other people who now because the spec is finalized. I I had pro, I had sort of I had a pro forma finalization. I talked about last Wednesday. We're done. It is it has been settled. The, the the semantics and the syntax are finished, and everyone's writing code. So I think we'll have something here in uh, probably in a couple of weeks. So, uh, we talked last
0: week about healthcare.gov.
1: Yes, and what was funny was completely unsolicited, our our wonderful podcast transcriber, Elaine, was listening to the podcast as she is forced to do, <laughs> whether whether actually, I think she really enjoys it because she is a geek and you know, self-ascribed. And so she so when she sent me back the transcripts, uh, text files, in email like Thursday night late, she said – she wrote, Steve, I'm too sleepy to go into detail right now, but you might want to relax a bit. Now, OK, remember what I did last week. First, first question we answered was why haven't we ever talked about the security catastrophe of healthcare.gov? And I gave everybody who thought that we were afraid to talk about it a nice rant about, you know, don't even talk to me about the security. It's just, it has to be the, the worst disaster anyone's ever imagined. So, so Elaine says, I'm too sleepy to go into detail right now, but you might want to relax a wee bit about the healthcare thing. And by the way, I should tell you, I have her permission, as you'll see in a second, to repeat this. She says, I got it. It's painless. They ask for less information than any utility company, and the website's just to allow you to compare plans available in your area. You pick one. They send your name and address to the insurance company who sends you an invoice for the first month's premium. And that's it. You're done with the website. And you don't have to give a credit card number or any medical information. Oh, that's interesting. Huh. Yes. Now, we should, rem- we should also remember, though, she's in California. Oh, she's
0: not using the federal site.
1: Correct. She's using the, She's, the state site. She says, I'm tickled pink because I haven't had insurance for nearly 20 years. What? <laughs> what? And I'm, <laughs> and I'm about to need eye surgery. Oh, boy. Your She's major, been very lucky. She said, your major disastrous catastrophe, she says to me, that's what I was calling it, she says, is my godsend. Although we were, of course, as, as again, we're, we're talking about different, implementations. We're talking about healthcare.gov national and she's in California. So I'm presuming she's using whatever the California site is. So I asked Elaine whether she would mind my sharing her real world experience with our podcast audience. And she replied, I don't mind at all. I just tried to tell my farrier and I thought, what's a farrier? And I knew that Elaine (laughs) would not have a typo. (laughs) And that's somebody, it's
0: a horseshoe.
1: Yes. So Elaine has a horseshoer, but she has no health (laughs) care. Hey, if you have horses, uh, (laughs) you got to buy them shoes. Baby needs new shoes. (laughs) Yes. So she tried. She just says, I just tried to tell my farrier I got health insurance and and parens. He got dropped last year and has two people with heart conditions in his family. That's why he got dropped. And and, And he just went nuts on me, a la Fox News. So any little bit of truth and balance a minute, is, a good, is a good because thing. Because there's
0: national health care, but he got canceled last year. I don't understand.
1: Yeah, well, people will vote against their interests, unfortunately. Yeah, we we see that. that all the yeah. time. Yeah. So she says, it's not spectacular news like the woman who got a family policy for $3.16 or the person who got billed $0.13, but it feels very solid and real to me. I'm getting a five eighty. That $580 per month policy for $170 per month with reasonable wow. deductibles. that's not bad. And then she said, actually, now I'm thinking it would be great, in all caps, if you did mention it. I'm sure lots of geeks like me have small incomes and or have suffered catastrophe. Remember the listener from New Orleans who, who wrote after Katrina. You've got listeners in New England who suffered through Sandy. There must have been listeners in Colorado who lost big time in last summer's oh, yeah. flood. Absolutely. Not every working mother is the CEO of Yahoo, and the recession still exists for lots of us. Healthcare is a definite bright spot. So anyway, she said, along with those same lines, you can buy refurbished computers at cedarpc.com, c-e-d-a-r-p-c.com, for $200 to $300, desktops or laptops. You could do a little in case you've been struck by disaster segment, and so we just did. Very good. Um, a number of people have asked for GRCS uh, SSL TLS cyber or cipher suite ordering. Um, that is, you know, I-, I talked about it how when I decided to that I could. No, I no longer had to worry about beast, and I could I could now use a, a an ordering of of cipher suites that would put um, a perfect forward secrecy at the top of the list. Uh, many people said, "Ooh, I'd love to see what you chose," because what I did was I went through for for Windows Server two thousand eight um, R two, which is what I'm using. I went through all the available cipher suites very carefully and very deliberately ordered them from most secure to least secure. Um, it's a long, I, I have it in, in a in a directory on SSL. So I rather than, I didn't bother making a bit.ly link or anything, but anyone who is interested, I did tweet it, I think, but um, it's in the show notes. So go to grc.com slash sn. The show notes are now always the third icon over and it's there. So uh anyone is who wants to is welcome to grab them. And actually it's the text file. You just make it one long, I I have line breaks in it to make it easier to read, but you take the line breaks out and you can drop that directly into Windows Server and it becomes your, your cipher uh, suite order. Um also um I was preparing uh 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 actually a, a list of ebooks for Bob. Uh, my friend, whom you remember, Leo, up in uh, Vancouver. Um, And I ran across my directory of Honor Harrington books. And uh, Bayon Books is the publisher, but these are all non-DRM, freely downloadable from Bayon's site. Although their site is a disaster to navigate. um, And they even have like an ISO image you can download with all of the books on it. Um, but they're hard to find, so I thought, what the heck? I'll just I'll just make them available um, and number them because the sequence, the proper sequence, is also not clear. And there's you know thirteen of them in the main sequence of Honor Harrington novels. So I ha- I have them on GRC. I tweeted it late last week, and the server really I mean they're large downloads, so I saw the effect. At GRC, many people were saying, "Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you." So, um, again, the links are in the show notes. But I did create shortcuts. Uh, it's Bitly, b i t . l y slash capital H capital H lowercase Kindle. If you want the Mobi format that run on the on the Kindle machines, or again, Bitly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash capital H capital H lowercase iTunes if you want the EPUB versions. And so um, it, that, you know, I, I continue to think that it's one of the best series of, you know, military, really beautiful military and sort of political uh, sci-fi intrigue, uh, which I really enjoyed. And last thing up is just a note for people who are interested that an interesting looking new series is premiering January 7th on CBS called intelligence. Uh, I have a YouTube link uh, in the show notes and I, I did tweet it um, and it's fabulous looking, you know, again, I I'm, uh, beggars can't be choosers. I don't, I'm not suggesting that it's like the end of, you know, everything we could ever ask for from sci-fi. We're just not going to get that, you know, for free on, on broadcast TV, but this looks extremely good. It's uh the show's called intelligence uh, and the and apparently a chip is implanted in a guy that w- wires him into the internet, so he 's able to access you know basically that.
0: is that available oh, now
1: oh well it 's very much <laughs> this is the, this is the technology in peter hamilton 's um in peter hamilton 's Commonwealth universe right. where you know you just have access to you know your own data store but also um Omar Marge uh Helgenberger is that know how you pronounce her name she, she's no in idea. there she used to be on CSI uh Vegas for a while and uh um anyway extremely good and my server is definitely showing the effect right now Leo of of people grabbing the Honor Harrington novels so oh. I'm glad people like it anyway Yay. uh definitely uh very cool very good and I have uh a nice note from a Microsoft certified systems engineer Uh, that I ran across in my mailbag when I was pulling Q&A for the show. He said, Steve, I'm a Microsoft-certified systems engineer. Today I restarted an older laptop of mine, a Dell Latitude D820, that had been running Windows XP without problems for years. This morning it was locked up. So I thought to myself, okay, a reboot is required. But then the laptop gave me the dreaded blue screen of death three times even after the last known good configuration was selected at Reboot. Oh dear, he writes. It was a half a terabyte hard drive. And because this laptop does a lot of stuff in the background on my home network, I dreaded the thought of having to replace the laptop or hard drive and getting everything reinstalled again. So I decided to try the Spinrite disk I bought from GRC a couple of months ago. After two hours... It reported that sector one, two, five were unrecoverable. And he says one hyphen, two hyphen, five hyphen. So maybe that's sectors one, two, and five, or I, I, I'm not sure because he says were as opposed to sector 125. He says, I was crushed. I thought my life is chaos now. I crossed my fingers and prayed. When Spinwright finished and I checked again, Spinwright reported that there were no unrecoverable errors. What? How can that be? I asked myself. But sure enough, on further inspection, Spinrite reported that there were no abnormal sectors on the hard drive. So there I sat, after a total of three hours, hoping that Spinrite would salvage more than my day. Once again, I crossed my fingers and removed the Spinrite boot disk and restarted the laptop. Steve, thanks for such a great hard drive maintenance and recovery software. It took only three hours or so... To recover this hard drive and SpinRight saved me many more hours of reinstallation and possibly relicensing software. From this day forward, SpinRight will be a part of my m- normal backup routine. So, just another happy SpinRight customer. They're
0: all happy go lucky SpinRight customers <laughs> here in SpinRight world. So, are you ready? We have questions. We do. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. we got 15 minutes. (laughs) We'll we'll get through some of them. I am perfectly happy to do as many as you choose at the time of your choosing. Question one from Richard. He asks about running Spinrite in a virtual machine. That's interesting. My TiVo recently stopped working. I put the TiVo's 320-gig hard drive into my PC so Spinrite could fix it. It ran uh, on a level 2 scan twice. Spinrite found and recovered data from bad sectors on both passes. The number of bad sectors found on the second pass was fewer, but they still were present. So, I decided to run a deeper level 4 scan to really root out the problems. After I started the scan, Spinrite reported that it was estimating 30 hours to complete the scan. I let it go overnight, but since I needed my computer back for the work week, I had to stop at the level 4 scan at about 50%. I then got to wondering, can I run Spinrite in a virtual machine so that I could use my PC? Because Spinrite runs in a DOS box or a free DOS box. So he wants to know, could he do that uh, and and still get to use Windows? He says he found your tweet from January with a link to a step-by-step instructions on how to use VirtualBox, the free uh, VM, for just such a task. I got VirtualBox installed and configured and started a level 4 scan on the TiVo hard drive. To my amazement... The Level 4 scan was flying, then after the usual 60-second sampling, the estimated time pop- populated, it said it would only need about four hours. I verified that Level 4 was in fact running. It was. So that long uh, who round is all to the point of saying does Spinrite, running right in a virtual machine, cause it to run better than booting it from a CD? This is the same hardware. Is Spinrite really working? We're running in the VM? Maybe it was just making up those numbers.
1: Seven-fold increase in speed. What's the story? Okay, so I wanted to... This is a great case in point for what essentially is a tip for anyone who is wanting to run Spinrite at maximum speed on a motherboard BIOS that won't run at maximum speed. Um, And that is Spinrite 6 today. What happened is that, that... uh, Richard has a BIOS that is not doing Ultra DMA by itself, and Spinrite 6 r- st- famously still runs through the BIOS. Many people have motherboards with BIOSes that that natively supports Ultra DMA transfers, in which case Spinrite gets the advantage of that and runs at full speed. The the um, the uh, I'm blanking, the virtual box, virtual machine that, that Richard was using and virtual box has a state-of-the-art virtual BIOS. So you can run SpinWrite in a virtual box VM and it will be guaranteed to run at full SpinWrite 6 speed. Which, as you can see, is in like in this case, was seven times faster than on that particular motherboard. So this was this was you know this was an interaction between SpinWright's sixes use of the BIOS and the fact that that motherboard wasn't doing Ultra DMA. Many other motherboards do Ultra DMA, in which case spinright always runs at that speed without putting it in a VM. And of course, all of, the reason everyone's excited about Spinrite Six One is we'll always get that speed because I will no longer be using the BIOS on any platforms. And in fact, we'll get a lot more speed because I'll be talking natively to the drives and using a 32 megabyte buffer. I don't remember now the benchmarks that we were making back when I was working on 6.1 before suspending that to get Squirrel finished. But it was, I, I remember that what I remember was a four terabyte drive we would then be able to do overnight. So you'd be able to run SpinWrite on a full ter- four terabytes like overnight. Um, uh, SpinWrite 6 won't run that fast because it doesn't use a large enough buffer to do that, but it can run at maximum speed in a VirtualBox VM. So people sometimes say, hey, Steve, I'm, I'm creating a machine that I want to use just to run Spinrite on. And so... Absolutely, setting it up with VirtualBox and seeing whether it runs faster in VirtualBox than it does natively uh, is something worthwhile because VirtualBox has a very good virtual BIOS uh, that it brings along. That's cool, isn't that neat? Yeah,
0: but the so the BIOS will work on a hardware connected drive. It's not working on the virtual machine hard drive.
1: The uh, so VM has its own
0: hard drive. That's a pseudo hard drive.
1: Um, actually one of the things that the virtual box allows you to do is to get direct access to a drive. Ah, that's cool. Yes. Yeah. So you, you so you could not get direct access to the system drive yes. because that's the one that it, it's running one. on itself. Yeah. Yeah. But but you you but you can get physical hard I mean even VMware will allow you to do that if you're if you're careful. So so the various virtual technologies give you direct access raw, when you raw when you, mode, basically Yes, exactly. And then so when when Spinrite makes its calls to what it thinks is the BIOS, it's, of course, the virtual machine BIOS. And the virtual machine BIOS is a very nicely recently written BIOS that then gives Spinrite DMA, you know, ultra DMA access to that physical hard drive. So, I mean, you're really running Spinrite raw and you're really running a state-of-the-art BIOS. So it's a really great solution. Cool.
0: Stephen Adams, Aurora, Illinois, highlights probability versus possibility. This has something to do with the Mega Millions jackpot, I suspect. Yes, (laughs) it does. I fully understand the concept of extremely low probability events and the fact that 256 bits provides extreme protection against collision. We're talking about uh, BitTorrent Sync, of course, uh, once again. But it does not prevent collision, as you've stated,
1: and I agree. That said, it is a... So, let, so BitTorrent Sync, Bitcoin, and Squirrel, for example, all, all use the these, same thing. All yeah. use two fifty-six bits. Yes, go,
0: right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. That said, it is a fallacy to state that mm-hmm. collisions cannot happen, as you and Leo did. I did not say that. I'm going to defend myself. I know the difference between probability and impossibility. Extrem- we were actually laughing. We were we, choking. We, we were, we, joking. We, we were la-
1: we, 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 yes, we were right. saying, we were laughing, saying it will not. You know, it cannot happen,
0: but, but it could. Know. Extremely low probability, he points out, does not equate with impossibility, Steve. You should know better. No, I added that part. Mm -hmm. While we calculate the mean time to solve something by brute force, it is entirely possible that the very first attempt succeeds. Look, three people won the mega millions. The odds against this are long, assuming a large enough range to guess from, but they are non zero. Because they're non-zero, it's entirely possible, though highly unlikely, that two people will have the same key. And frankly, all it takes is an error in a pseudo-random number generator to create the collision. One mistake by a programmer, and all of a sudden we have collisions and chaos. Since we can't review every single PRNG that's used by every single software that generates these random sting- strings, he says stings, we are subject <laughs> to the skills of at least the capable or at least careful coder of the least capable or least careful coder. And we see where this has taken us in the past. It's it's obvious this guy has no sense of humor. It's pretty clear from security now that such errors are all too common. To summarize, a pure brute force attack is unlikely to succeed, but it is, and I highlight this in bold, possible that it will. A collision for a properly created pseudo-random number generator is unlikely, but possible. An error by a programmer is very possible. This could easily create such collisions. Fundamentally the point is low probability is not equal equal impossibility and when human actions are involved counting on what amounts to security by obscurity is a bad idea signed guy with little sense of humor Steven Adams in Aurora Illinois
1: Okay so could there there yes obviously we all know what what Steven said Yes um the reason I selected this was that that First of all he ra- he's very correct about the extreme dependence we have on the quality of pseudo random numbers. We've talked for example about the the surprising discovery by the by the EFF's observatory that m- completely unrelated servers were using the same private keys without knowing it because the, the the technology that they have is that they generate the private key themselves and then they they send the public key off to the certificate authority to have that signed basically they 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 generate a, a certificate which asserts their uh, their identity with their public key the certificate authority signs it and returns it so what this says is that is that multiple servers Around the world, generated the same, chose for themselves the same private key. So, what this, what this, so the lesson to we who are going, who have a stake in using 256 bit strings for our identity, for our Bitcoin wallet, for our private bit, uh, BitTorrent network is there or bit sync is we really really do and so this is a good point steven makes we really really do need high quality random numbers probably what happened in the cases of those surprising i mean these are you know probably what 128 bit private no 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 i'm sorry they're 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 um rsa keys. so they're probably 1024 bit rsa keys. so you know so these were probably servers that were, that were powered up or booted and hadn't had a chance yet to acquire much entropy from the universe, from the random timings of packets, from noise that they had access to. Whatever they were doing to mature their entropy pool – we've talked about that recently – they just – didn't have much time. They probably got booted and somebody said, make me a key. And so they did the best job they could with what ent- with lo- what low relative level of entropy they had. And sure enough, multiple servers with the same OSs running the same key generator, running the same random number generator, started off having an entropy collision and gave the same key. So, So it's definitely important. I mean, for example, we see this in... TrueCrypt, where TrueCrypt makes you move your mouse around a lot. That's just to, you know, enhance the entropy so you're not all, you know, depending upon it from a single source. And listeners will remember how I was talking about in Squirrel um, in a mobile phone setting. I'll have you, you know, wave your phone around in the air while we're streaming video from the lens into a hash to just, I mean, to create a fabulously random pool, which we mix with what with, with, with entropy we get from the, the platform we're running on in order to get a really, really random identity for uh, users of Squirrel. So, you know, there are certainly ways to do this, but, you know, turning a computer on and immediately having it generate a key uh, from with a limited entropy pool is obviously... Not, It's going to be prone to collision. And so, you know, he's right that, it, that it, it is something that we need to look at. And the second thing is I just want to mention that we're all – there. there's a the thing that makes some people uncomfortable when they say, yeah, but my BitTorrent sync could collide with somebody else. In which case, you know, then, then I'd be like I'd have the key to their network. And you know, and my Bitcoin wallet could collide, in which case I'd have somebody else's wallet and so so the reason that's a that this is like the new model, this is the model we're heading towards is that and squirrel is the same way is that there is no central authority there there is no when you ask, does anyone else have this key that you don't ask, does somebody else have my bitcoin?" Wallet key. you don't ask does somebody else have my BitTorrent sync key there I mean there is no one to ask it's a we're it's a decentralized model. When you sign up for email, you know you you put your email and and, and many times people have signed up like for Yahoo email and that's why you see names you know like you know Steve Gibson three twenty seven It's because you know Steve Gibson, nothing through three twenty six were're already taken. So when you have a central authority, you're able to ask it, is this account name available? And then it says, oh, no, you got to choose something else. I mean, same thing for like when people sign up for Twitter. It's like, oh, darn, I, I can't use that. I can't use that. I can't use that. I can't use that. Oh, finally, here's what I can use. Um, but in, the, in, the, in this next generation, no third party decentralized model, what we rely on is just this, the vastness of the key space and The quality of the entropy that we're able to generate, and so everyone doing this really needs to pay attention to entropy quality. And really, operating systems should should flatly refuse to generate entropy until they've had enough to, until they've accumulated enough to be confident that that they have it. And clearly, uh, that was not done in the past. Uh, It's something that we're seeing now.
0: So, just uh, as an example, uh, if you have a Schlage lock on your door, <laughs> there yeah. are you know it's only it's one in a million that somebody has a similar key. Oh, so I think it's lower than it that. Might even be lower than that. Uh, yeah, it, there's some difference of opinion
1: on. How yeah, you much. get you get a bur- you get the birthday um, scenario. If you have a bunch of people all trying a, a given lock, the chances are rather high that you'll just have a, yeah. a a collision
0: so you should just go around trying your key and uh, yeah because
1: i mean look there there there's the tumbler with six pins yeah. and they don't have they don't have that many positions each
0: right so yeah exactly it's probably in the hundreds of thousands at most No,
1: i'm sorry five
0: pins five some pins have five some have six yeah Quickset has five Schlags have six i think Actually, both quickset and Schlage have five and six pin. So, and,
1: and they can't have that many positions because right. you need to be able to tolerate key wear over time and not have them, you know, constantly going out of alignment. And you know, right. they don't; they right. they're pretty tolerant.
0: <laughs> That's why it's so easy to pick a lock. Yeah. Moving along to question three, Marcus in Corona, California, discusses the power of the pointer. He's apparently been taking a course in computer programming. But he says, I'm somewhat dyslexic and mostly an auditory learner. My instructor does almost no lecturing and expects us to read the book and come to class with that week's subject fully understood. Well, what does the instructor do then? Uh (laughs) But I was having a lot of trouble with pointers, a lot of trouble. Yeah, this is one of the first subjects you come up against in programming that can be a little confusing. I've been listening to security now for over a year. I always listen to the current week's episode and a few old ones in between. Well, almost right on cue for my exam. I happen to listen to episode 237. like 4 years ago which is where you explain the fundamentals of programming long story short i passed the test thanks to the podcast i just want to let you know that no matter how old security now gets its content will always be relevant and that goes for you and leo too just kidding hey that's awesome
1: he so fi- he figured out pointers cuz of you so i just this was a perfect opportunity for me to bow at the at the at the altar of the pointer um, it's a ev- magical thing, isn't it? Oh my goodness, it is. I, I, I've once said I was quoted somewhere saying that God is six levels of indirection. <laughs> uh, I don't know what it means, but I like it. The, <laughs> a,
0: a pointer is one level of indirection, right?
1: Correct. the The idea is, and the thing this is confusing to new programmers is: does a variable contain the thing? Yeah or a pointer to the thing. And there's nothing to prevent it being a pointer to a pointer to the thing or a pointer to a pointer to a pointer to the thing. And, And in my programming experience, whenever I have carefully set up structures of that have meaning and the structures contain pointers to other things. And then I have a pointer to that structure. It's like, I mean, I've only ever gone like three levels of indirection. That's why I say God is six Um, (laughs) is it's it. Every time I code this way, I find myself, I just get a chill. It's just like, wow, that it is such a powerful way of, working and and I think it's powerful because pointers are the way we humans think you know we we use nouns to to represent something that's a pointer to an object is a noun you know a a, a grammar a, a, a grammatical pointer and um the, as and, the
0: Zen Buddhist would say the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon <laughs>
1: <laughs> Correct. Yes. Anyway, so I just I loved his note that he, you know, he understood That's pointers cool. or or he thanks to the podcast and I probably may maybe swooned over them back in episode oh, yeah. 234. I don't remember. Oh, yeah. But I'm I just posted something this morning in the in the squirrel uh uh development news group that the next thing I will do is I'm going to write a library. Now 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 that I've got all the crypto code assembled and linked, I'll write a library that uh, for squirrels low level plumbing where i give i pass a structure containing pointers to strings to a function so i i give the function a pointer to the structure and that will contain pointers to strings and i mean that's the way i'm going to set it up and it's like it's the way you do things now and it just it makes for such an elegant description of real world stuff so so I, it, I, I bow to the altar of pointers.
0: First experience those in peaks and pokes on the Atari eight hundred.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and then uh, pointers. And then the next thing that you gotta get is recursion. That's even a little bit harder.
1: And then Ooh, the thing yes. that,
0: yeah, and then the thing I'm still stuck on is lambdas or closures, which well, are anonymous and the, functions,
1: the, and that I just don't understand
0: at all. And but the one that, if thing- I'd taken
1: calculus three, maybe I would. <laughs> The, the the other thing that object oriented programming introduces, because because basically what I was just describing was was technically object oriented programming. That's right. Programming. That's right. Yeah. But you're also it gets kind of freaky when when your structures can contain pointers to functions, not just pointers right. to like variables or strings, yeah. but you can actually have a pointer to a function, and that can change depending upon. You know, like the type of value that you're... that's, you're that's,
0: that's Now you're getting the lambdas.
1: It gets pretty <clears hard.
0: throat> I don't yeah. want to go to lambdas, thank you. You can get lost. <laughs> uh, great. That's a nice... Thank you for that. That's a nice uh, email. Here's a gripe, though. A complaint from Geek Wrench in Chino Hills, California. I use NoScript religiously on my laptop. I guess he prays every time he, he uses it. I don't know. This means that when I watch security now on my laptop, most of the JavaScript is blocked. It takes time for my old machine to load the show, so I do other things. If I so happen to make the mistake of allowing scripts on another page, it dumps the whole show, and I have to wait for it to reload all over again. Last week, I got frustrated and never bothered to finish. This is our fault? Is there a way to allow no script in a single tab? Oh, that's an interesting idea. Or do I just need to continually mentally flogging Leo? Now, you see why I have a crappy job. (laughs) Because some guy has a crappy browser and an old machine and dumps the, and he blames
1: me. Okay, so okay, newsflash, <laughs> Geek Wrench. He's blaming me. You 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 right click on the no script icon, and where it says temporarily trust twit.tv, tv, right below it it says always trust always. twit always TV. Trust us. We're,
0: we're and safe.
1: that's the key. He
0: doesn't um, want to do that
1: apparently. No, I just think he hasn't seen that uh, or hasn't noticed it. So it is. And, and so what happens is no script then remembers that you trust twit.tv. And so, for example, my no script never bothers me because it knows I trust Amazon. I trust Google. I trust, you know, the, the various sites that require scripting that I'm a repeat visitor to. Um I don't trust anything by default, but I've trained NoScript over time. And sometimes I'll be at a site and like like you know GitHub, for example, and I'll think, eh, do I am I is this worth trusting? You know, because yeah, I'm I'm adding a, a permanent entry in a database somewhere inside of NoScript to say, oh yeah, let's always trust GitHub. And you know, I thought, ah eh, no, I don't I I'm I'm happy to trust it on the fly rather than permanently. But that's a huge feature of NoScript that that apparently just missed your attention. And so I wanted to call your attention to it. Trist, trust twit.tv and you're good to go. No more problems. Somebody said
0: T N O E L, trust no one except Leo. Hey, this is going to be a holiday gift I just got from Scott Evest. Uh, you might be interested in these blackout pockets. They You can uh, you can put it, uh, it has RFID, or actually, it's basically a. uh
1: drop your far- cell phone in.
0: A Faraday cage in a bag. Very cool. <clears throat> yeah, so it blocks cell phone signals. Uh, it blocks RFID. So if you have a passport or a credit card, you can't be skimmed or hacked. And uh, so you just you just put this. Uh, it has Velcro on the back, so you just stick it into your uh, Scotty vest. And they have three levels of protection.
1: <laughs> there was something I saw recently. Gosh, I think it was it was a video or a, maybe it was a TV show or something where where everyone entering a conference room had to had to drop their phones yeah. in like a box yeah, the and then the said. lid was closed yeah. and Snowden did that
0: too. Snowden would, off-line. If
1: you, when Greenwald went to talk to Snowden, he said, put your cell phone in the fridge. Same thing. Okay. You're right. We did talk about this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and, and people were saying, okay, put it in the microwave, but do not turn the microwave <laughs> on. <laughs>
0: yeah. Because a microwave has uh, is a Faraday mm-hmm. cage. Otherwise, the uh, high right. frequency uh, waves would fry your brain. And you peered in to right. see if your pocket hot pocket was done. Ari in South Africa asks a fundamental NAT question: network attached? No, network? No, network? Uh, never mind. Addressable something thing of a jig. Hey, Steve, thank. <laughs> Wait minute, now, now I'm going to have to think of it. Uh, network address translation. Thank you. Uh, please, could you clarify some basic network address translation concepts? Pertaining to what a NAT router is expected to do, with IP addresses of packets, it lets through outbound. See device bypasses NAT router post in grc.security. Thanks and best regards, Ari.
1: Okay, so we haven't talked about NAT routing technology for a long time. Um, And I don't want to bore our old timers who are like rolling their eyes because it's like, oh, come on, you know talk about something we don't know. But I know that we're constantly getting new people on the podcast also. So um, I I won't spend too much time on this, but the way that what NAT routers do with the IP addresses of packets they let through outbound is remember them. And this is the whole beauty of why a NAT router is such good security. Normally, there's just junk arriving at everyone's IP address all the time. I've coined the term IBR, Internet Background Radiation. That's what it is. It's code red bots, you know, NIMBOTs and nonsense that will – they're little living – on forever and will never go away scanning the internet. They're you know spam bots and and just every kind of thing you could think of, just checking ports on your IP to see if maybe you've got that port open. The idea is that they're all coming from random IP addresses that your router knows nothing about. So when they arrive at the router, it just it it looks in a table to see whether. It's expecting anything from that IP address on that port and or or like from from that IP address from that port into your specific port that it's addressed to. And if not, if there isn't a match, it just drops the packet. The packet just dies. I mean, it's just data arriving. It's not like they're pointy and they're going to like pierce the router or somehow (laughs) work their, you know, work their way in. It just just it just ignores it. But. If you send a packet from inside your network out through the router, the router takes note of the destination IP and port and the source port that it's emitting the packet from, from its IP. And off the packet goes out onto the Internet. Then when that destination sends the packet back It'll match up with an entry. It's got the, it left an entry in this table. So this 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 packet comes back amid all the other noise that, that's trying to get in, but that particular packet came from that i the an IP address and a port destined for a port on the router that the router expected. So that one gets let back through, and that's how NAT works. Yeah. It just it's fabulous. Uh, bench you know fundamental firewalling technology
0: basically it will continue a conversation started from within the network and ignore yes. any attempts to start a conversation from out without the uh, network unless you can kind instructed. of
1: think of it like a one-way valve it allows yeah. data and transactions outwards but but blocks anything unexpected unsolicited as i use the phrase <clears throat> all over the place uh coming back in
0: you know we uh do you have any one in particular we want to do because we're kind of out of time here
1: I think we, we've we got a good, some good podcast stuff. behind yeah. Yes, yeah. very much.
0: And we'll, we'll leave the, some more questions for later. You can always ask Steve questions at his website, grc.com, slash feedback. Do not email him. Do not email. He doesn't even. You don't even know his address. I don't have, I, I don't have email. He has no email. I don't, have, I don't have it. He's a black hole
1: on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> his pointer points to nothing. So next week... We've got a fabulous. I think everyone is going to get a big kick out of it. Holiday special, uh, one of the first of many time capsules. Uh, let us know what you think because uh, you know I think they're going to people are going to enjoy them a lot. It'll that's what'll be airing on uh, the twenty fifth on Christmas. Will be uh, uh, a blast from the past. Gee,
0: I can't wait. That's going to be fun. You can you can tweet at him. He's at sggrc on the uh, Twitter. And he made yes, a tweet back at you.
1: Everyone knows I read them and I answer them. Yeah. So <laughs> You're going to be sorry.
0: <laughs> he also puts uh, 16-kilobit audio versions of this show along with those great transcriptions written by Elaine Ferris on his website, grc.com. Stop by there to get those. And, of course, Spinrite, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. If you have hard drives, you ought to have Spinrite. You can also get a lot of free stuff there like perfect paper, passwords, and more. grc.com. We do this show well, this is. Uh, we'll be doing it one more time at eleven a.m. Pacific, two p.m. Eastern time. Yes, eighteen hundred. I'm sorry, nineteen hundred UTC on uh, on Wednesdays. We're moving to Tuesday at one p.m.
1: Pacific, four p.m. Eastern time. Twenty one. Yep, starting UTC. starting January seventh. I yep, think it is January seventh is the first. Tuesday. Oh, and that's the premiere date for um, intelligence. Uh, Intelligence. On Intelligence CBS, will appear so.
0: here and on CBS <laughs> in an amazing coincidental dual sighting. Mm-hmm. A collision can, of the a collision Collision. Yeah. Uh, what else? If you don't, if you can't watch live, though, you know we make on-demand audio and video available. He has it in lower quality uh, audio, 16 kilobit audio for the bandwidth impaired. We have high quality audio, even video for to watch our smiling faces at slash sn for security. Now, you can also subscribe at your and your favorite to. Uh, podcatcher and uh, that way you'll get every week and you probably and want will to collect the whole set you know
1: collect all and thousands. i will I, yeah i will just tell everyone once again because i i'm getting a surprising number of questions about this the show notes are at grc.com sn and it's the third icon over so click on the third icon you get the pdf that leo has been reading and and following along with me and that, that i've been reading uh, of the top of the show stuff with all the links in it that I, that I refer to, so Excellent. that's where they are. Thank you for doing that, and thank okay, you, my friend for then,
0: watching. Yeah,
1: and everybody will see me in studio with Leo all day Christmas Eve day <laughs> on uh, on December thirty first. New I will Year's Eve up. day, yes. New Year, what am I saying? Yes, New Year's Eve day. Yes. Yep. You scared me for a moment, puttering around.
0: Yeah, that'll be fun. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Steve. It's always great to see you. Have a Great Christmas, and we'll see you in the new year. Thanks, Leo. On security now. Security now.